Chapter 12 of Pollyanna's Jewels. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by T.R. Love of Pleasant Hill, California. Pollyanna's Jewels by Harriet Loomis Smith. Chapter 12. Eavesdropping. While Aunt Polly's growing intimacy with her old schoolmate, Mrs. Aldridge, eased the situation, it by no means, Pollyanna realized, solved the problem which so insistently demanded a solution. As Jimmy said, it was like using hot applications when an operation was needed. Pollyanna and Jimmy had gone over the ground a number of times, and Pollyanna did her best not to be oversensitive and Jimmy tried his hardest to express his views tactfully and kindly. Fundamentally, they were in accord. They agreed that something must be done, but how to do that necessary something without mortally wounding Aunt Polly was the perplexing question. You see, I've been begging her to sell the house and live with us ever since you came back from France. Pollyanna reminded her husband. Now the house is sold, I can't very well say I don't want her. Of course, we're glad to have her here with us. Jimmy stopped and swallowed, as if the statement were something tough that went down with difficulty. The point is, we don't want a general manager. Yes, that's it, but it's a dreadfully hard thing to say. I'm perfectly ready to say it, dear, but the other night you seemed to think... Oh, yes, shivered Pollyanna, panic-stricken. I'm the one to say it. But I'll have to wait for an opening, Jimmy, really. You mustn't hurry me. In Jimmy's opinion, an excellent opening soon presented itself. Aunt Polly had accepted the news of the loss of the colonial silver with surprising equanimity, quite agreeing with Pollyanna that it was a mercy nothing worse had happened but she was continually harking back to that misfortune, and her regret seemed cumulative in its nature, a little keener each time she mentioned the subject. But when she finally suggested that, in order to avert similar disasters, Pollyanna should take the remaining silver upstairs every night, Pollyanna was not favorably impressed. You don't mean all of it, do you, Aunt Polly? Well, if there's any of your silver you don't care for that you'd be glad to be relieved of, you might leave that behind. Aunt Polly softened her satire by a kindly, if superior, smile. But it would be such a lot of work. Not at all. You can keep a large basket for that particular purpose and put the silver into it the last thing at night. Then Nancy can get it when she comes downstairs in the morning. Perfectly simple. I'm sorry now that we weren't more careful with the tea service, Pollyanna acknowledged, but that was the only very valuable silver we had. The rest of it can all be replaced, and it seems almost foolish to take so much pains about it. Oh, well, if you feel like presenting your silver to the first burglar who comes along, retorted Aunt Polly witheringly, I've nothing more to say. A casual listener might have supposed from the concluding sentence that she had dropped the subject for good, but Aunt Polly's nothing more to say was always figurative. Daily she returned to the attack, making the same suggestions, bringing forward the same arguments, 
and finally showing the same displeasure when Pollyanna failed to act upon her recommendation. The result was that, one evening, Jimmy actually carried upstairs a rather heavy market basket containing all the silver down to the baby's christening mug. Aunt Polly had personally supervised the packing. As Jimmy set the basket in the corner of the bedroom, he cast a rueful glance in Pollyanna's direction and caught her looking moodily at him. And simultaneously, they burst into smothered giggles. Seems to me, Pollyanna, Jimmy said, that this is a pretty good time for your declaration of independence. Of course, if people want to make all this fuss over guarding their silver, they have a perfect right to do it. The point is, we don't, and we've been made to. Pollyanna agreed that this was the psychological moment. I think perhaps it's better to make a start on something rather unimportant like this. Probably you're right. Then you can tackle it in a light-hearted, free-and-easy fashion, and there won't be any danger of her taking it too seriously. The usually optimistic Pollyanna only sighed, realizing that Aunt Polly's capacity for taking things seriously was practically unlimited. Well, anyway, she said, I'll be glad when it's over. It was probably the realization of the task awaiting her on the morrow that troubled Pollyanna's sleep and resulted in a headache the next morning. Jimmy said goodbye to a rather pale, listless wife and went his way pondering on the instability of human happiness. Three months ago, everything was okay, and now look at us. There's nothing I'd like better than the chance to put things straight to Aunt Polly, but if I did, she might shake off the dust of her shoes against us and walk out of the house, and then Pollyanna would never get over it. I hope she won't let herself be browbeaten today, because if she is, I'll have the whole thing to do over. Unexpectedly, fate postponed Pollyanna's attempt at self-assertion. As she went about her work, wondering how to introduce the unpleasant subject, the telephone rang. It was Mrs. Aldrich on the wire, and after a rather protracted conversation, Aunt Polly rang off and came in search of her niece. I've asked Matilda out to luncheon, she explained. She said she wanted me to come to town, but I felt I must make some return for all her hospitality. Nancy had better bake some muffins. Matilda is very fond of muffins, and she dotes on whipped cream, though with her figure she should never touch it. I see, said Pollyanna absent-mindedly. The laundress was behind her work the previous week, owing to bad weather, and Pollyanna wondered if it would be necessary to ask Nancy to launder some doilies. She had only met Mrs. Aldrich once, and though on that occasion she had impressed her as almost painfully unassuming, Pollyanna realized that her prospective guest was a wealthy woman accustomed to luxury from her cradle, not at all the sort of person one would ask to partake of an impromptu family luncheon. Pollyanna hurried away to consult Nancy, making plans as she went. The children had better have their luncheon in the nursery. They could call it a party and invite Inez and Jigs, and if there was enough left of Sunday's chicken, it could be creamed and served in patty shells. It was a dainty little luncheon of which the three women presently partook. Strictly speaking, two did the eating while Pollyanna at the head of the table 
chatted and laughed and played with her knife and fork, hoping that no one would notice her unwanted abstinence. Her headache, severe when she woke, had not been helped by the flurry of luncheon preparations, and the sight of actual food, no matter how temptingly prepared, made things worse. Mrs. Aldrich ate with relish and praised everything extravagantly. Pollyanna realized that, for all her wealth, she was not a person to be afraid of. She noticed, too, with a little amusement, how Mrs. Aldrich hung on Aunt Polly's word and accepted her decisions as absolute. At the conclusion of the meal, which Pollyanna had barely tasted, Nancy voiced a sense of injury. Miss Pollyanna, either you're losing your appetite or else you're getting tired of my cooking. Pulling food to pieces and strewing it about your plate ain't the same thing as eating. It ain't, it ain't. Nancy, I couldn't eat today. I have such a headache, but everything was perfectly delicious. Mrs. Aldridge said so over and over. Nancy's petulance was at once dissipated in concern. Of course you couldn't eat, Miss Pollyanna. You're as white as a sheet. You go up to your room and lie down till you're feeling better. Pollyanna hesitated. I'm afraid the children may get noisy in their play and disturb Aunt Polly. You leave them children to me, Miss Pollyanna. It ain't a-going to hurt nobody if they make a little mite of noise. And anyway, she said hastily, seeing by the expression of Pollyanna's face that this was not altogether reassuring, I'll see they keep quiet, so make your mind easy and run along. After her battle against a sick headache, there was something luxurious in unconditional surrender. Pollyanna lowered the shades and dropped upon the bed with a sigh of relief. The coolness of the pillow against her cheek was like the soothing touch of a mother's hand. She closed her eyes thankfully. Nancy would look after the children, and Aunt Polly and Mrs. Aldrich were happily recalling experiences of their school days, and the task of enlightening Aunt Polly was necessarily postponed. In sixty seconds, she was asleep. When she woke, more than an hour later, her first feeling was one of consternation. Her head was so much better that it was natural to assume she had slept the greater part of the afternoon, and in that case Mrs. Aldrich would think her a very unmannerly hostess. Pollyanna stood for a moment before the mirror to smooth her disheveled hair and then hurried out into the hall. Apparently her nap had not been productive of any serious consequences. The children were playing quietly in the nursery, Mrs. Aldrich and Aunt Polly still talked together, and the earnestness of their low voices suggested that they were sufficiently entertained without her aid. Pollyanna lingered a moment by the nursery door, sorely tempted to enter. Reluctantly, she decided to leave well enough alone. The children were happy and contented, but they might not be either if, after breaking in on their play, she left them almost immediately, as courtesy to her guests demanded. With a tender smile for the unconscious little group on the other side of the door, Pollyanna turned to go down to the living room. Then, at the top of the stairs, she stopped short, as if overtaken by some catastrophe as befell Lot's wife. Aunt Polly was speaking with unwanted vehemence. No, Matilda, no, she said. 
I appreciate your offer. I appreciate it more than I can say. But my first duty is to Pollyanna. Up to this point in her history, Pollyanna had never intentionally played eavesdropper. If she had ever overheard conversations not intended for her ears, it was quite accidental. At the risk of disappointing her admirers, it must be confessed that after a moment of reflection, she seated herself upon the stairs, taking the utmost pains not to make any noise and give her absorbed attention to the conversation in the room below. There was a moment's silence after Aunt Polly's outburst, and then Mrs. Aldrich spoke. Pollyanna was startled to find that, instead of accepting Aunt Polly's assertion as final, she was actually combating it, a most surprising innovation. I know Polly, Mrs. Aldrich quavered. I understand exactly how you feel, but it really seems to me that I need you more than dear little Mrs. Pendleton does. I hope you don't think I'm terribly selfish. Indeed, Matilda, I could hardly think you selfish after your generous proposal. A selfish woman would be likely to find a selfish use for her money instead of offering to take an old schoolmate south for the winter. Oh, but Polly, interrupted Mrs. Aldrich, her tone indicating alarm, you don't understand. That's all part of my selfishness. I should be so much happier with you, you see. Thank you, dear, answered Aunt Polly. It was not often her New England reticence permitted the use of terms of endearment, and this departure from her custom showed how much she was moved. If you were alone in the world as I am, dear Polly, ventured Mrs. Aldrich, it would be so wonderful for me. We could go all over the world. I know you've spent considerable time in Europe, but there are so many other places like Hawaii and Japan and the Holy Land. And even when I'm in Boston, I get so lonely living by myself and servants are so hard to manage nowadays. If you were alone in the world, we'd go wherever you said and do whatever you pleased and everything would be perfect. Oh, Polly. It is very sweet of you, Matilda, murmured Aunt Polly, and her voice was not quite steady. I'll acknowledge to you that to see Japan has been a dream of my life, but duty is duty. Mrs. Aldrich sniffed. When she spoke again, her muffled voice groped its way through the folds of her handkerchief. I understand, Polly, and while I am disappointed, I only love and admire you the more for taking that stand. Pollyanna is as dear to me as if she were my own child, Aunt Polly continued. And in addition to my love for her, I owe her a debt of gratitude. When she came to me, I was a very different woman from what I am now, Matilda, selfish and embittered. Not selfish, Mrs. Aldrich protested with some heat. You mustn't tell me that, Polly, for I shan't believe it. You didn't know me. But if you ask my old neighbors in Beldingsville, they would all tell you what a change Pollyanna coming made in me. And then, too, I owe her the greatest happiness of my life. I, it's something I can't talk about, you know, but Thomas and I hadn't spoken for years till that dear child brought us together. Fifteen years of possible happiness were thrown away, Matilda, but those few years we had together are the dearest memory of my life, 
and if it hadn't been for Pollyanna. Aunt Polly broke down and sobbed. Pollyanna guessed from the sounds that Mrs. Aldrich, too, was crying. Sitting very quiet at the head of the stairs, she put her own handkerchief to her eyes. It was some moments before Aunt Polly was composed enough to continue. Then she said resolutely, She's so young, Matilda. Of course, very young, and so inexperienced to meet her responsibilities, for the mother of three children has heavy responsibilities, Matilda. Yes, but at the same time, Aunt Polly interrupted, Pollyanna is undeveloped for her age. Sometimes I think she will never be anything but a child. Do you know, Matilda, she lowered her voice discreetly, I'm not saying this by way of criticism, you understand, but until I came, the dog was always in the dining room at mealtimes. Really? murmured Mrs. Aldrich, her surprise so amiably tempered as to suggest amusement rather than horror. As you say, that is like a child. And now you understand, Matilda, declared Aunt Polly, her air of finality indicating that the discussion was over. Why, while I am grateful from the bottom of my heart for your offer, I must say no. Pollyanna needs me, and my first duty. Pollyanna suddenly realized that she must act at once, or else be under obligation to accept Aunt Polly's sacrifice everlastingly. She sprang to her feet and all but tumbled down the stairs. The conversation in the living room broke off abruptly, and the women turned in her direction, the startled faces of detected conspirators. Pollyanna was quick to act on her advantage. Aunt Polly, she cried, I've been listening. I've heard every word you said, and I love you and thank you, but I'm not going to let you do it. Aunt Polly looked wildly at Mrs. Aldrich, and Mrs. Aldrich looked guiltily at Aunt Polly, but neither spoke. Pollyanna was mistress of the situation. I know I'm young, she rushed on, but I'm improving in that respect every single day. Of course I'm inexperienced. But don't you think, Aunt Polly dear, that trying things out and seeing your mistakes and then trying over again is the very best way to get experienced? And anyway, I won't have you giving up your dreams for me when they're just ready to come true. I'll answer for her, Mrs. Aldrich, and the answer is yes. Pollyanna's conscience gave her several twinges during the next half hour, for both Aunt Polly and Mrs. Aldrich assumed that she was making the greatest imaginable sacrifice and praised her for her unselfishness until she felt herself the most preposterous of frauds. But though she blushed furiously each time the misguided women lavished adulation upon her, she did not lose sight of her contention that Aunt Polly would be ready to start south any day, Mrs. Aldrich said. Jimmy chuckled when he heard the story late in the evening. Well, the Bible says that there's a time for everything, and apparently eavesdropping is included. That didn't bother me half as much as having them praise me for a sacrifice I didn't make. Oh, how glad I am it came out this way. Don't you see, Jimmy, that from now on she's bound to spend most of her time with Mrs. Aldrich, and she'll always have the comfort of thinking that she was such a help to me. And if I'd explained, no matter how kindly I'd done it, 
She'd have been dreadfully hurt to know that I, that we, I don't know just how to say it. Then let me finish for you, suggested Jimmy, that in spite of our high regard for her many estimable qualities, we are thankful to see her go. Now don't look at me so reproachfully when you're in such a cheerful frame of mind that you couldn't hide it if you tried. But there was more to Pollyanna's gladness than she could explain, even to Jimmy. As she sat upon the stairs, playing eavesdropper, she hadn't realized that often, under the misunderstanding and the stupidity and the meddling and the clumsiness by which we blundering human creatures make things hard for one another, love remains loyal, unchanged, and ready for any sacrifice. If there had been any soreness in her heart over Aunt Polly's irritating interference in her affairs, the events of the day had healed it and left affection and tenderness and gratitude. No wonder Pollyanna was glad. End of chapter 12